Warning, this podcast contains mature themes from very immature people. So I'm stupid <laughs> because this, this whole thing was my idea. You are stupid. I can't believe you made me spend my life on this, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a good, what, two hours of my life I'm never going to get back. It's true. And you know what? I say that, but I, of my own free will, went and saw all three of these movies in the theaters. I paid my hard-earned money to watch this smut on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know what? I don't really regret it. The movies are not good, but um, they are what I wanted them to be, which is smutty. They're very smutty. I mean, sure, it took them about 45 minutes to get smutty in this one, but eventually they get pretty smutty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it's funny to me that you mentioned seeing all three of these because it, when I reminded you that I saw one of these in the theater with you, you were baffled. You did not remember. You know, I've had another person tell me that you're wrong about that. And that what? she doesn't remember it either. So I think maybe you're wrong. You guys are fucking insane because why <laughs> on earth would I have subjected myself to watching Fifty Shades, whatever it was that we watched that one time? I can tell you things about that movie and you know that there's no reason I would have subjected myself to it otherwise. I mean, today proves otherwise. No, no, <laughs> no. Lauren, Lauren. There's like a weird stalker angle in one of the films. There is. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I thought that that was like a, a through line throughout. So I was very <laughs> confused why that didn't have anything to do with this movie um did that only come in the second or third film that i think it comes up in the second one after anastasia moves to seattle and gets a job for this creepy boss who starts stalking her okay that makes the i was gonna say that makes sense but that's really kind (laughs) but uh no because i have a firm memory of pouring How a firm? little I should <laughs> a little Tito's bottle a little Tito's you know uh, friendly uh, tag along into a movie theater like giant Coca-Cola <laughs> and watching it in uh, in a theater and being okay, like this is hilarious that, I do remember this I forgot yeah. we brought booze with us <laughs> we did (laughs) and i needed booze to watch this film like a couple of degenerates Mm -hmm. oh funny okay i do remember that now that you remind me we brought nips of alcohol with us (laughs) yes we brought nips we brought nips look into his eyes they're the eyes of a man obsessed by sex Hi, everybody, and welcome to Let's Get It On Film, the all things sex in film and TV podcast. I'm your host, Lauren. <laughs> and I'm Kate. <laughs> Thanks That's for being Kate. with us. <laughs> yeah. It's true. 
It's true. <laughs> we never, we never, uh, we're, we're mixing it up. We're, we're doing, we're doing a different, a different sort of thing today. Um, which I blame myself for. I blame you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, Fair. we are coming up on a very special holiday and that calls for a very special episode of let's get it on film all humans i hope your ears are open because this is the valentine's day special Woohoo! valentine's day very fun and sensual <laughs> have you ever had a i i wanted i wanted to ask you if you ever had a fun valentine's but i really wanted to share my fun valentine's story <laughs> <laughs> it's always this with you. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> well, my favorite memory of Valentine's Day was actually during the time we were living together. Hmm. When we were in uh, that quaint little part of Boston and I, I was single at the time and I took myself out for a Valentine's Day meal to uh, a place where they were serving pizzas in the shape of a heart. And uh, I just sat myself at a bar and I drank beer and I ate one heart shaped pizza alone. I came away from that still to this day thinking that was a pretty good Valentine's Day. That does sound nice. Why was I not with you? I believe it was a time when I specifically wanted to be alone and like take myself out. It would have been awkward if you were there as a third wheel. That's true. Did you seduce yourself? I mean, uh, something definitely happened when I got home. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't like to kiss and tell, but. <laughs> That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I've never been on a Valentine's Day date and I have on a couple of occasions had to actively avoid it because it's like you're trying to set up like your first date with a person and it's like, Oh Oh. shit, this Friday is Valentine's day. Okay. Okay. The next week, what's the next week? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to be weird about it and do the Kelly from the office thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. First date on Valentine's is not the move. Valentine's day is a special time. uh, I think whether you're single partnered into romance or not really it's just a nice sort of a nice sort of time to just be a little sensual i agree it's a good time to like just treat yourself if no one else is there to treat you to like treat yourself Mm -hmm. to a little bit of chocolate or like buy yourself some flowers or yes watch a a sexy movie have a sexy (laughs) movie to have some masturbation yes um, so can we just, just really quickly can we what? circle um, back on, on the phrase have, have some masturbation <laughs> can we just look back on that real quick um i don't know what you're talking about i blacked out for like three minutes <laughs> in any case uh we wanted to celebrate this very special time uh with a film from like six years ago I realized like the SEO isn't great, but it, it it's a, a memorable cultural event, cultural icon. It's a, it's a big moment in our culture. The Fifty Shades Bonanza. It 
certainly was. I worked in a bookstore when oh, yes. the, the books came out and it was like a mom porn phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Well, I found that there were two kinds of ladies in the bookstore and those two kinds were the ones who grabbed it off the shelf and proudly marched up to check out and like slammed it down and were like, guess what I'm doing later? <laughs> or the ones who like <laughs> hid it under their shirt the whole way up and then yeah. placed it on the counter upside down and then didn't make eye contact with me the whole time I was checking them out. <laughs> um, sweet, sweet, precious angels. There was not a lot of in between. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's adorable. Should we talk a little a little bit about the origins of the books? Because I always think mm, Yes. But the origin story of Fifty Shades of Grey is really comical. Um yes. because it was it was Twilight fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Twilight fan fiction published online and it was a, about the characters Edward and Bella from Twilight. Mm-hmm. And when they decided they were going to make the movies, the producers off the bat were like, let's get Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. And, yeah, you know, other people were like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird and terrible. Mm-hmm. But you can see kind of threaded through the dynamics of the movie, the same kind of like sort of like mirrored characters to the Twilight series. <laughs> yeah. I think I found all the sort of criticisms of like Kristen Stewart's acting and Robert Pattinson's acting in those films. I could see the same criticisms leveled at this at this film at Dakota Johnson and uh, Jamie Dornan. Right. And it's because there were a lot of things like in particular, the lip biting, which I'm sure got. Oh, yeah. Which got written into the fan fiction, I'm sure, because it's an acting quirk of Kristen Stewart's. It's not. As I recall, it's been a long time since I've read Twilight, but I don't think that's a Bella mm-hmm. Swan thing. I think that's a Kristen Stewart thing. And so it got written in for the character of Bella slash Anastasia Steele for the movie. I'm sorry. Every time I hear her name, it it's so bad. Well, it's so classic romance novel-y, but I think that's Danielle Steele's fault. Uh, yeah. I, f- I feel like this phenomenon kind of put an unfair spotlight on fan fiction, um, (laughs) which I unabashedly enjoy reading and writing. Um, Not that anyone should seek out any work that I've done. Um, Maybe I'll cut that. Uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. It's up to you. But we do have the funny dynamic of you are an unabashed lover of reading and writing fan fiction, and I'm a totally abashed lover of reading and writing fan fiction. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and even when we lived in college together, I would be like reading gay smut on the couch while we were like watched TV together. Oh, all three of us did that. Yeah. We would all sit in the same room without breaking a sweat, reading porn five feet apart. That's what we were all doing. It was so fun. It was a lovely bonding (laughs) experience. (laughs) But yeah, so it's, it's, I think this kind of shed a, a a harsh light that fan fiction, um, 
didn't didn't quite hold up so well under. I've never read the books, but excerpts that I've seen from them are not well written. The prose isn't good. The like the dialogue is really hmm. like comically comically bad. Um, and that translates to the movie. I don't know how the dialogue didn't get polished more in the movie script. I don't know. I think there must have been something where it was like, no, we have to keep that because that's how it is in the book. When it's like, no, don't be precious about it. Like, just make a good film. I mean, it seems like because they got Sam Taylor Johnson to direct it, mm-hmm. like that was her goal. Mm-hmm. was to make it kind of good <laughs> to make it to make it an interesting film and there was like i mean off the bat there was all kinds of talk about like i don't know steven soderbergh directing it and and oh yeah like big name producers and big name actors and like lots and lots of hype for something that's not a good book and didn't turn out to be a good movie yeah the music for this movie was nominated for globes and oscars and everything else was nominated for razzies (laughs) yeah 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 uh i watched this with my roommate in the room uh and one of the things they said was like you don't deserve this soundtrack and it's very true (laughs) Mm -hmm. i want to i want to jump back before we get too far into talking about the film itself i do want to say i think this has a great example of a trailer. Really? I don't think I've watched the trailer since it was released. <laughs> the trailer is what really captured people's excitement about this film. And I understand why. It had that that remix of Crazy in Love. Mm-hmm. That was like the slow and sexy and kind of scary. And that really worked with the... Um, the trailer, which only had really their inciting meeting, the inciting incident of them meeting, and mm-hmm. then just had disjointed sort of sexy imagery uh, <laughs> that didn't really tell any, any real story and therefore couldn't give away much plot, but did just feel like heightened kind of uh, erotic excitement. That makes sense. I know... The marketing relied heavily on that tagline, Mr. Gray will see you now. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Let's talk about the characters. Um, Mm -hmm. We have two of the most clearly boring people on the planet. In the opening montage, we see that he, Christian Gray, Christian Gray, I almost said Christian Bale, but that's incorrect. (laughs) Christian Grey literally wears the same thing every day, except with variations on a gray silk tie. What a fucking boring ass human being. (laughs) And Anastasia Steele. Anastasia. Anastasia. Anastasia Steele has... These horrendous bangs mm-hmm. and uh, a pillared, pilloried uh, cardigan, mm-hmm. you know, pilling, pilling, you know what I mean? <laughs> a pilled cardigan. Yeah, pilled, she's a pilled cardigan. 
we've got this like low pony and cardigan and mm. tights under her skirt as an indicator that she's kind of frumpy and innocent right off the bat. Ugh. She's got to fill in for her sick roommate and go mm-hmm. interview this billionaire Christian Grey for their college newspaper because he's going to give their commencement address and there needs to be some sort of pre-interview situation. Um, and the roommate who was supposed to give the interview is sick. So she goes, so Anastasia goes to interview him instead is how they meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to point out that it's terribly unfair that both of these characters are supposed to be younger than us, Kate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a big fat note on that that just says he's supposed to be 27 years old. <laughs> 27 years old. And here's why that's a sticking point for me. Not only is he a 27 year old billionaire. Yeah. But I, I love that it's a big part of the premise that's laid out here is that because he's rich and unmarried at 27, then there must be something wrong with him. There's a dark secret. There's a dark secret because he's an unattached 27-year-old. <laughs> to the point where in the interview that she's doing, she she asks him, are you gay? Because it's like, as if he can't, there, there's like no other reason he could be single still. She's like, oh. you've never been photographed with a woman. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he was probably too busy, like, fucking, oh, I don't know, going to prom or whatever. Whatever <laughs> kids, kids do. Um, God, it's infuriating. I hate the slow march of time. Mm, yeah. Okay, so... Anastasia goes to this really intimidatingly fancy office building where there are these like supermodel employees in business formal wear. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. They all look like models. (laughs) Who show her in and it's supposed to be like a, she clearly doesn't fit in there. It's like a devil wears Prada thing because she's grumpy and innocent. And there are these like glamazons and, um, I almost forgot. Go ahead. I almost forgot, Kate. She trips. She trips. She trips over the threshold of his office. Yeah, it's okay. So this Glamazon leads her to his office. They're all, Mr. Gray will see you now. And on her way through the door, she trips because she's quirky and clumsy, right? She's quirky and clumsy (laughs) and just whatever. It's all supposed to be driving home the point that they're very different. Mm -hmm. But all of this, it feels to me like a poor person's idea of what it means to be rich. Like, how how am I to know? But it all feels like a poor person's fantasy of what billionaires are like. Yes. That (laughs) is something I I want to uh, highlight throughout the whole film. I have one of my notes here is just simply, this is right-wing capitalist propaganda. (laughs) They are just so enamored with the idea of like, a self-made billionaire. He's worked so hard and he's gotten up to the top because you can do it too, you poor piece of shit. Yeah, it's a it's a bootstraps narrative. It's this kid who oh. comes from a rough upbringing. He's, his mother was a crack whore. And, right. Right. <laughs> and he Way was to blame a, the mother. He was the abused child of a crack whore who gets adopted by a wealthier family and then has a real like even 
beyond them, it seems, has a bootstrap narrative of like coming from a rich family and making himself uber wealthy. Ugh. God. And so on top of that narrative, there's just the incredibly boring aesthetic that overlays this entire film. <laughs> it is shot like a car or watch commercial. Mm-hmm. It is just, we're trying to sell you opulence. We don't have to say what our product is. We just have to tell you that it is wealthy and and rich and expansive, and this will make your life better. (laughs) What's going on with that accent? It started out like English and ended up Transylvanian. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) By the end, you just sounded like one of Dracula's wives in Van Helsing. (laughs) Well. Like, yes, darling, love to. Maybe she has opinions on this movie too. It's fine. Um, it's fine. But my point being, it is just so boringly filmed. The shots are more about getting the status symbols of wealth in the frame and less about about telling an interesting story. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. It's trying to set this really kind of stark modern kind of gray tinged setting everywhere all all the spaces are like really clean modern lines and quite empty except for like grand pianos and garages full of cars that all belong to one man (laughs) yeah it's all it's all really boring but of course these two characters have this like immediate magnetic connection in this weird scenario and Christian Grey becomes immediately enamored with Anastasia Steele, even though they're so different. And he's he goes all kind of like, I must have her stalker, right? He goes fully stalker. It's absurd that she is not terrified of him. Right. And so they have this meeting and then she runs straight out of the office building into a rainstorm. Like we didn't like we didn't get that she was wet for him. She runs straight out of the building into a rainstorm. So right. I didn't catch that though. I don't know why that. Uh, oh, so, yeah, you're so right. So they do a lot of uh, just heavy-handed things like that. Like mm-hmm. during the interview, she forgets to bring a pen with her, so he gives her a pencil that has his name on it. It says Gray on the oh, pencil, yeah. Yeah. and so for like mm-hmm. the first half hour of the movie, you see her like touching her mouth with the eraser of this pencil. She's constantly Mm -hmm. rubbing the pencil with his name on it on her mouth. Like we couldn't be more obvious about it. Yep. Yep. So just a lot of stuff like that. Um, So they have this meeting. He immediately stalks her to this hardware store near Portland that she appears to work in. Which I I wondered why, I wondered why the, the hardware store. And I think it's just because they wanted to have that scene where he buys his like equipment from her. Why Why this choice to have her work in a hardware store, if not for that? I think that's part of it. I'm trying to remember where Bella works in Twilight. I think it's like sporting goods or something. <laughs> but something, I didn't is, know that. something that doesn't make sense for a <laughs> like vaguely yeah. frumpy, out-of-place person in the Pacific Northwest, right? So same vibe as that. Same co-worker, same blonde-haired co-worker who seems to be into her, but she's not into him. 
right? That's the, that's the, <sighs> oh God, what's his name? I almost called him Cam Newton, but that's a real person. <laughs> I think his name is Mike Newton, maybe the character from Twilight. So he's in the hardware store even you get him so she does suffer from uh from a bella syndrome of all these guys are into her but they're and not she the just right wants one. none of it she mm-hmm. wants none of it of course there's a jacob black character the friend who's into her what's his name in this? jose jose jose, jose <laughs> because of course he's a jose why wouldn't he be um, oh, why wouldn't he do that? So you get all these mirrored Twilight characters. Um, so he shows up at this hardware store where she works and he has her bring him around and show him where the zip ties are, where the zip masking ties. tape is, yep, and, rope. and rope. And they at least call attention to how weird this is because when she finishes giving him the stuff, she goes, well, you're the complete serial killer, which is... yeah." At least being self-aware, which is good. Yeah, there are nice moments of, of self-awareness uh, in, in humor. I'll, I'll mention another one, I think, uh, later, but yeah. But for me, this is hilarious, especially because Jamie Dornan is so, so, so much better in the show The Fall, where he plays an actual yes. serial killer, where yeah. he plays the... Oh, fucking... The Belfast Strangler. Sorry, I couldn't remember his serial killer name. He's the Belfast Strangler. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to point out um, that I think pretty highly of both Jamie Dornan and Dakota Johnson as actors. I have seen Dakota Johnson in um, How to Be Single, which as a film didn't amaze me, um, but I thought her performance was really good. Um, and... Uh, I do know that she got good um, reviews in her performance in The High Note. As we dunk on the film as a whole, you know, I think it's important to note that like a lot of talented creatives came together to work on this. It's true. The, they're both award-winning actors who get really good roles and pull huge paychecks and Mm -hmm. have and make interesting career choices too. They're both people who do sort of like one blockbuster and then one really interesting indie thing, right? They, Mm -hmm. they both make good choices. These movies, while they didn't turn out well, had a lot of potential and then they got contracted, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because there was so much hype about it. There was the expectation that it, could and would be good. And that's how they got this huge soundtrack. Charlie Hunnam was attached mm-hmm. to play Christian Grey before Jamie Dornan was on board. Oh, yeah. That's why I got so excited for the movie, because I love Charlie Hunnam. Oh, yeah, Hunnam. you love him. Yeah. So they had a lot of potential, and I'm sure they both made a ton of money for this. But yeah, they're not yeah. good. And more power to them. Mm-hmm. So as the film goes on... I'm trying to remember where we left off in our synopsis. We were the complete serial killer, the complete serial killer. Um, So one thing that's interesting in his weird stalker serial killer way, he sends her uh, two gifts and it comes with a note, uh, which is a quote from a novel. I actually read some of which is Tess. Of the de Ubervilles. 
by Thomas Hardy. And I specifically read a bit of this novel because I was like, I know that they kind of make an intentional parallel in Fifty Shades of Grey to this work. And I want to know how accurate that is. Fucking weird. Fucking weird. (laughs) Very fucking weird. The quote that they use is a quote that comes from after Tess, the main character, this sort of simple country girl, uh, has been raped by a young gentleman who she thought she could trust. And he betrays her trust. And then she goes home and she is berating her mother. And she's saying, essentially, why did you not tell me of the ways of men? Uh, Why did you not warn me of the dangers? And they use that quote from that rant in like his romantic, sexy note to her. I was like, why? That's why weird. Yeah. I wonder if that's included in the book or if that's supposed to be like commentary on it all. Because I mean, the, the whole idea of the movie is like, it's like anti-consent, you know what I mean? There's a lot of mm-hmm. talk about it and a lot of like, so Christian wants this written contract and he says things like, I won't touch you without written consent, which is the opposite of consent. There's no such thing as blanket consent or like legally contracted yeah. consent. It's not, it's yeah. not real. It's, it's this idea that if it's all going to be okay, if you sign this paper for me that says it's okay, but that's that's all fake um, and is not real. Consent. It's all fake. And it <laughs> because consent only can come in the moment, you know, like mm-hmm. y- and you can revoke your consent at any time. Um, and it's also he says, I won't touch you without the contract. They never signed the contract in this whole film. No. Well, there's that moment in the elevator where he mauls her. But first he says, oh, fuck the paperwork. <laughs> right. I Stick to a story. Mm-hmm. But uh, let, let's let's jump back to uh, the, the synopsis. Actually, jumping off of the moment where uh, he sends her these elaborate gifts, um, including a first edition copy of Tess of the Ubervilles. I want to express something. So Christian Grey has like three kinds of things going on with him. There's uh, the financial domination side, which is a, a kink where people like to feel their financial dominance over someone by giving them lavish gifts, by giving them money. That is a thing. That's part of why um, sugar babies exist. Right. There's also the reverse of that, which would be where your sugar baby sort of like demands money of you and like Mm -hmm. demands gifts of you and you're being dominated in that way. (laughs) Yes. So that's another way. Cuts both directions. (laughs) Yes. Um, There's that. He has uh, apparently his main kink seems to be um, impact play, which is things like spanking, flogging, whipping, you know, that sort of stuff. Then there's also the other thing going on, which is this weird control uh, possessive thing, which is not a part of the kink scene, which is just a part of a bad boyfriend. Mm hmm. 
he is he is controlling and manipulative. Yes, which is a bad combination with BDSM. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so this sort of lifestyle arrangement, this full time domestic arrangement that he's trying to come to with this contract is a very unconventional but not unheard of thing. But the mm-hmm. power imbalance between them within it is super whack and does not make for a healthy situation. Yeah. Yeah. I have several notes that are just, this is a horror film. <laughs> and in fact, I think this film would have been better if it had leaned into that side of things. Leaned more into the side of like, Oh, I'm just a poor farmhand and you're the sexy duke and you've cornered me alone and oh no. Like, you know, if it it leaned more into that sort of like, oh, I don't want it, but I do. But I can't say that I do, but I do, you know? Right. And they have one of those literal moments where she's telling him no and he's like, but your body's saying yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then he tells her exactly how her body is saying yes. (laughs) Yeah. What an asshole. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there's there's several things. Uh, His weird controlling side shows up when um, she's out drinking with her friends and she drunk dials him, which is a thing that people do and he's immediately like how dare you be so risky and like comes and gets her and takes her away from her friends and brings her alone to his hotel room and strips her and then in the morning is like i saved you from a bad situation like dude you are the bad situation (laughs) he really is like she's 21 she's allowed to be out with her friends He is the bad situation. You're very right about that. And they kind of play it off like like he likes this side of her that doesn't put up with his controlling bullshit. So within that drunk dial, she's making (sighs) fun of him and she's going, oh, I'm Christian Grey and I want you. No, stay away from me. No, come closer. And she's making fun of him like that. Yeah. And it's if they had leaned more in the direction of her not putting up with any of his bullshit yeah rather than her putting up with a ton of his bullshit Mm -hmm. and also making fun of him to his face then it it would have been better Mm -hmm. but they do he does take her to his hotel he does i guess sort of undress her that's a little bit unclear she does worry about what happened and she says did we and he what does he say like i'm i'm not into uh I'm not into necrophilia. I'm not into necrophilia as though she... Which, like, what? mm -hmm. Because she was passed out is the idea that she was passed out dead. I... Um, Wow. (laughs) I'm so... I'm trying to limit my thoughts and my comments to the things that are, like, relevant and not just being like, wow. Yeah. And I think it's supposed to be, okay, so back on Twilight, right? Edward is this same kind of controlling character, not quite as bad as Christian Grey, but he does sort of Mm -hmm. stalk Bella and show up and save her from dangerous situations. But also in one of the books, I can't remember, like he doesn't want her going to see her friend Jacob. So he like dismantles the engine on her truck. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of. Yeah. And she... (sighs) Bella gets 
mad at him, but they have this thing where she leaves her window open every night and he climbs in her window and he sits with her while she sleeps or they, I don't know, they fucking cuddle or something. I can't remember. And so, so after he does that, they have that same dynamic where Bella storms into the house and she goes up to her bedroom and she slams the window closed and he sees her Mm. slam the window closed and then she gets back up and opens the window again. <laughs> uh, that's that's nice. Okay. I understand. I understand what that's communicating. Yeah. Which is like, it's not okay. I don't like your bullshit, but I still I, love you. But I still love you. Exactly. But I'm going to put up with it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's that same kind of like controlling weirdness of like, save you from your own risky behaviors <laughs> type thing. Risky behaviors. Like drinking at a bar with your friends and your... Is that her sister? I don't know. Friends or whatever. It's her roommate, yeah. Her roommate, yeah. Um, I, I, I asked my roommate, who is more into anime than I am, what the technical term for this was because I, I, I was aware that there is a trope. And I have to say this, Christian is the Sundere. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I am whatever the opposite of an anime fan is. Same, honestly, same. But apparently, uh, Sundere is a term for someone who runs hot and cold. It's that Katy Perry song, You're Hot and You're Cold. And yes, this is Christian no. Grey. You're in the yes, you're out. exactly. You're up then you're down. He's, yes, <laughs> exactly correct. Uh, he is constantly like, "You're the you're you're wrong for me, but I want you. But I'm the bad person for you. If I want you so bad, come closer. It's so it's so annoying." Mm-hmm. However, the scene in the hotel does give me what I think is the hottest part of the movie and is, I think the only realistically coupley moment of the whole thing where she is sitting in bed eating toast because she's hungover Mm -hmm. and he pulls his top off all slutty like, and then kind of crawls on the bed towards her, like, like a sexy, sexy animal. And she's getting all flustered Mm -hmm. and he just leans forward and steals a bite of her toast and then gets back up and walks (laughs) away. And I'm like, yes, that's what real couples do. It's that shit right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is nice. Uh, (laughs) That is nice. So what, let's fucking get through this whole film. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. He's more of a Findom. Uh, what else do my notes say in this interim? Um, my next notes jump to the sex dungeon. So I must have gotten bored with some part of this middle bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they they move into the situation where Anna's like, date me. And he's like, I'm not good for you. But they keep mm-hmm. meeting up. He keeps taking her on dates. Mm-hmm bringing her to Seattle and then driving her back to Portland over and over again. And finally she's like, why won't you just date me? And he's like, because it's not what I do. I am just Mm -hmm. a person who has sexual relationships and they are, you know, these sort of arrangements of, of dominance and submission. And I don't do romance. That's not what we do. Right. Um, Mm. And so on one of these dates, 
he brings her to his house and she says, are you going to make love to me now? And we get the worst line by far of the whole movie where Christian says, Uh I don't make love. I fuck hard. Hard. (laughs) Hard. Uh, Just the worst worst line ever committed to the screen. Uh, It's so bad. (laughs) But it does in this moment reveal that she is in fact a virgin, which mm-hmm. he's super into again because he's manipulative and controlling and possessive. So he like grabs her face and is just like, "Where have you been? Like my angel, my yeah. perfect woman." Which is whatever. But that does bring us to the scene that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> yes, because when he finds out that she's a virgin, he kisses her and he starts to lead her to his bedroom, and she asks what are you doing? And he says, I'm rectifying the situation. (laughs) The sexiest thing you could possibly say. (laughs) I'm fixing you. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make you whole. Like what? No. (laughs) Was that, that was just sort of like caveman speak. Me make you whole. Right. Yeah, like no, no, like the other, the other kind of hole, Lauren. The other kind of hole. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> and she even like says, and this is one of the moments I was gonna, I was referencing before, uh, where there's an awareness of how stupid what's going on is. Where she even says, "I'm a situation," <laughs> which is like, yeah, yeah, girl, yeah. You should, you should have left so long ago. You should have gotten a restraining order when he came to the hardware store, like girl. Um, But anyway, so I do want to talk about rectifying the situation. (sighs) So this scene, the deflowering of Anastasia Steele, it's got some notable moments. Um, It's all shot in this sort of blue gray um, sort of tone. And my roommate was convinced that there was a color story going on where like blue symbolized her being in control and red symbolized him being in control. I was like, I know what you're saying, but I think they were too lazy to really think out a full color story. (laughs) And they didn't really like commit to it enough to get any credit, but it's got this this low blue lighting, they're mostly shadowed, which does work well for sex scenes because, you know, harsh lighting can sort of show off the human body in ways that are not so flattering. But uh, there's some notable shots like he, uh, Christian, breathing over her panties as he's like taking her pants off. And there's a hint of who is he going to go down on her? But no. <laughs> that hint is never fulfilled. Then in the moment of him sort of breathing over her panties, there's a weird cut where he suddenly is standing up like a, a bit away from her. And it's like, there wasn't enough time for that to happen. But okay, whatever. I'm with you. He starts taking off his shirt, starts taking off his shirt. And then uh, he pulls down his pants and we get a very nice ass. A very nice ass. I Mm -hmm. I put that in my notes is that we get some good butt 
And that's really one of the highlights here. He has a really hot body. <laughs> He's got a good body. Apparently got- he, I, well, I read, I read things about how they shot these scenes. Um, and apparently while Dakota Johnson was just downing shots of whiskey, uh, <laughs> he was uh, doing push-ups the whole time. Mm-hmm. So that's how they got through the scenes. I think this was also at the peak. Um, what do you call that thing where you're like planking on weird surfaces? <laughs> I think it's that like was a, just planking. Was it? I think I feel like there was a lot of stuff of him just being like, like planking on weird surfaces <laughs> to like <laughs> as like strength training, but also kind of like just to make the muscles pop. <laughs> this was <laughs> 2015 when people were doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> weird. Mm. Um, so we get we get a good shot of his butt and then he does another crawling shot where we're looking down her body and we see him sort of, you know, intense gaze crawling over her body like a predator. That's that's very interesting. He holds her wrist down uh, her wrists. He holds her wrists down uh, on the bed, um, which is the only hint of anything kinky going on. You know, that's barely anything. I don't know. That's pretty kinky for your first time. Somebody holding your wrists down while you lose your virginity. I, Kate, they're having missionary with the lights off. Okay, but he's holding her down by her wrists. He's, he's basically holding her hand. That's not that different than like holding someone's hand as you fuck them. Okay. It's power play either way. Holding someone's wrist down over their head is power play regardless of what's going on, in my opinion. Fair enough. I think it's just extremely mild. Uh, <laughs> we get a <laughs> we get a gasp at uh, the penetration, which I mentioned this before. Straight people are so obsessed with the hymen. It like, <laughs> God, so weird. Um, also, no fingering or anything like whatever. Um, but then there's a pretty classic. It's all it's all very classic shots of sex scenes. We've got like, you know, a few close ups of faces, a few close ups. Uh, there's a nice close up of her foot sort of arching off the bed. We've got an overhead shot where he's like on top of her and uh, she's like panting. Uh, it's very conventional, very basic in terms of sex scenes, but it's honestly not bad. It's, it's not, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hot, but really it's meant, it's designed to be like the lead into what is going to be a very sexual and very kinky relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Forgive the expression. It's like breaking the seal, right? Oh, Kate. Kate. I mean, it is. Because from that moment forward, you don't go like 15 minutes in the movie without it. That's true. That's true. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I mostly picked this uh, scene because... There's a shot that comes directly after this, which is genuinely, I think, the best. Uh, calling it a sex scene would be a stretch, but there's one shot where he has apparently, Christian has apparently gotten up from bed, 
put on jeans at some point um, and is sitting down at the piano uh, playing Chopin. And he is doing that broody thing where he, he's like backlit by a beautiful, like it's all windows and he's backlit by beautiful Seattle. And uh, there's very nice colors coming through. And she totally nude and very unashamed walks across the the set of this is just a one like locked shot uh, of a wide and she walks across the the set and she uh sits down on his lap on the piano and kind of like coaxes him back to bed and he picks her up and carries her back to bed Mm -hmm. that was i think the sexiest moment in the film it's a great great shot it's very dim so it's not like (laughs) <laughs> it, it would feel kind of like vulgar if it were like brightly lit, but it's really dim. And I think does she, does she drop the sheet? Like she's in the sheet and she drops the sheet, I think. Yeah. And then walks up to him and she straddles him on the piano bench and he kind of like grabs her by the hips or whatever and stands up and carries her back to bed. Mm-hmm. Mm, so good. Mm. If I could have just talked about that shot, I would have, but I didn't think it would really count as a sex scene in this film. (laughs) But I think it was the best moment. So then the next morning, she's making breakfast for him. She's like, oh, gag. Um, And then at one point, they're cuddling in a bathtub. And my main thought was like, when is this going to get kinky? And the first, I would say the first hint of kink comes when he is about to like wrap, he's wrapping a a gray tie around her wrists and they're gonna have sex again. And it's like, Ooh, now there's some bondage going on. Okay. This is what I would consider like legitimate kink going on. Uh, and then they're interrupted by his mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hate it. Yeah, he gets he just gets her wrists tied and then you hear mother shouting from downstairs. So it's not like they really get interrupted, but but they have to stop um, and get dressed and go downstairs. And so there is this very awkward moment of like, mother, meet person I'm trying to have a contracted sexual only relationship with person I'm trying to have a contracted sexual only relationship with meet my mother. (laughs) Yeah, very very awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sh- uh, she fucking rolls with it. Like she, she seems does. super comfortable. Mm-hmm. She's psyched. She's just like, hey, it's nice to meet you. Where I'd be like hiding in a closet. I know. I'd be hiding in a closet if somebody had me tied up when they yeah. walked into the apartment. <laughs> yeah. That's some wild shit. I would not, I would, there's no way I would have come out and been like, hey, mom of this guy I'm sleeping with. Mm-mm. Like, there's no way. <laughs> so then there's a nice scene where they take an outdoor walk and it's in their uh, fucking, I don't know, it's pretty and shit. Um, but it comes out that he was a submissive to an older woman for six years uh, who was a friend of his mother's. And uh, this relationship started when he was 15. Mm -hmm. So I felt emotions. You know what's funny about this film? What? (laughs) 
I come out very much on the side of empathizing and understanding Christian Grey. <laughs> Do you? Because none of his story really tracks for me. It all feels kind of lazy. <laughs> I mean, none of it makes sense. But if it's like, oh, I understand why he's a terrible dom. I understand why he's doing a terrible job introducing her to BDSM culture and why he hasn't explained the fundamentals of what a scene even is. And like he's has no idea how to make her comfortable. He leaves. uh, There's a moment where he fucking leaves her in subspace and she has sub drop. And it's like, wow. Uh, But it's like, I understand all this because He's not actually a dom. He's a rape victim. <laughs> and he's just dealing with abuse. And yes, they don't really play it that way, though. They play it like he's an expert. And he's an expert, they play it because, like he's an expert. because he's been in the lifestyle for so long. And Anastasia is the only person who's just like, oh, wow, you were victimized by a pedophile. And he's like, we're friends, you know. Ugh. But... But the, the movie isn't ever like, and and the points they're trying to make, they hit you over the head with, right? And they don't hit mm-hmm. you over the head with that. So I don't feel like it's intentional. I don't feel like they're saying he had a horrible, inappropriate, uh, like illegal and unethical introduction to this lifestyle. And so he doesn't know what he's doing in it. It's like, He's as as he describes himself, he's 50 shades of fucked up for a lot of reasons. But, <laughs> but, but, but they, they don't, don't talk about his abuse as one of them. Right. They don't really yeah. not that abuse anyway. They don't draw that connection. Yeah. That's like, here's why he's doing a poor job of it is because someone else did a poor job of it for him. It's like he he thinks this person did a good job and he knows it's not normal, but he doesn't feel victimized by it. And, you know what yeah, I mean? I agree. I agree with you. I agree that you're correct. But God, I just want my movie instead. <laughs> I just want my movie that's about like dealing with rape trauma and and getting through like the complicated power dynamics of entering into a sexual relationship too young and and then how you deal with that moving forward. Uh, but you're right. That's not the movie we watched. No. <laughs> yeah um i know this it, it had a lot of potential it just doesn't live up to any of the potential it's except, just except so that it's as smutty it's as smutty as you expect it to be once you get past the first 45 minutes yes. right once you break the seal <laughs> uh, oh. why why would you do that to me why would i not do that to you is a better question <sighs> it's so true um so he tells her all this stuff about the lifestyle that he's in, uh, it, quite erroneously. Um, they present all these things, again, like he's an expert, uh, but he doesn't do a very good job of explaining what actual BDSM play is like. Um, not, I want to be clear. I have not entered a BDSM scene. Uh, I, I have had some experience with like impact play, like spanking and slapping, but nothing where there were, there were kind of like, a, well, there, I guess there were kind of established roles. 
Um, and there was kind of a safe word established at that point. So I guess it was kind of kinky. Oh, okay. But uh, it it was a very mild scene that I entered into, I guess. Um, but I, I in no way want to claim that I'm an expert on the kink community. Um, just because I've fucking got spanked one time, you know? <laughs> right. And here's the thing that kind of introduces the topic of the like jv kink versus like varsity kink and it's like yeah the cute stuff you see in the movie like getting tied to the bedpost with a tie and like Mm -hmm. getting your ass smacked that's all like jv kinky stuff that tons of people do all the time yeah but having like a playroom with (laughs) a saint andrew's cross and a a (laughs) flogger yeah multiple flogs and whips and cat and nine tails and yeah all that stuff right that's that's varsity kinky and that's what his character is supposed to be and anastasia's really only prepared for jv kinky yeah and that kind of brings us to the scene that i like which is he takes her on this walk he tells her a little bit more about how he got into the lifestyle and he encourages her to do some research about bdsm buys her a laptop to do the research and she (laughs) she just googles like submissive (laughs) right it's there's a lot of like jeeves it she does a little google search and she's looking at stuff online and she sees somebody i think you know tied up or something i can't remember she looks at some kinky pictures and then she she gets cheeky and she sends him a message that says it's been nice knowing you (laughs) yeah she basically tells him to fuck off Right. And so we cut to she's doing her laundry and she walks back into her apartment with a basket and he is in her apartment like a stalker with a glass of wine. (laughs) Why wouldn't you call the cops? Right. So more of this like stalkery Edward Colony stuff. Right. But he does have a good line because she was being cheeky with him. He just shows up and he goes, it's been nice knowing me has it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then let me remind you how nice it was so yeah this is the scene that i chose this is my favorite sex scene in the movie it's a pretty short one so he grabs her and drags her to bed and she's really casually dressed because she's doing laundry she's in like a tank top and leggings um he ties up her wrists with this gray tie that he keeps using yanks Mm -hmm. down her leggings pulls her top up over her eyes like a blindfold um he's pretty aggressive with her uh in a way that i think is hot Mm -hmm. um and we have another moment that i had completely forgotten about like my beautiful laundrette where he takes a sip of wine and he drips it into her mouth i totally forgot about this when we were talking about the similar scene in my beautiful laundrette Uh uh-huh i made a note of that i made Mm -hmm. a note that he fucking dribbles wine into her mouth from mm-hmm. his mouth fucking wow <laughs> and then he grabs an ice cube in his mouth and he drags it down her naked body with his mouth mm-hmm. which is like all very jv kinky married people stuff right yeah that's very like let's spice it up tonight sweetheart you know it's that kind of stuff yeah then there's a moment that i think is really hot where he grabs her ankles flips her over slaps her ass yes <laughs> lifts up her hips 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's in just his jeans at this point, which is a little bit of a hot button thing for me because I spent too much time watching Queer Spoke in my youth. And Brian <laughs> Kinney is always just in those jeans, you know? Uh, he loves a pair of jeans, my God. Uh, and he wears those jeans too, right? Jamie mm-hmm. Dornan also can wear a pair of jeans, right? So he... Yeah. He flips her over, smacks her ass, like lifts her up by her hips, um, opens his jeans, puts a condom on, which we love to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you like very nearly see his dick when he penetrates her. <laughs> yes. Just a <laughs> tiny cuts, little flash. It cuts really low and you get a flash where it's almost like you can see a little bit of dick um, and you get a little bit of bush out of it, which mm-hmm. we also love to see. Which I want to interject. I looked up some interviews about the uh, the cinematography and the uh, way that they did this, uh, the, the filming of Fifty Shades of Grey. Interestingly enough, I believe it's the same cinematographer as Atonement. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And they were saying how, for modesty, you know, Jamie Dornan is wearing a sock. And uh, Dakota Johnson has sort of like, um, you know, a piece of cloth over her mom's pubis and and sort of going around her waist. And they have to uh, edit that out in post-production. They use VFX Mm -hmm. to smooth over the lines where you would see that, you know, nude coloring. And they had to insert uh, pubic hair digitally into the scene well they did a nice job (laughs) they did an excellent job but someone's job was to draw pubic hair on jamie dornan that's not the weirdest thing i've heard in vfx but yeah um of course when you say a sock you don't literally mean a sock you mean a cock sock which is the the industry nickname for what is basically a flesh-colored thong Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) Not not a real sock. Not an actual sock, no. That'd be, that would be funny. Jason Momoa did that on the set of Game of Thrones, I think, rather <gasps> than wearing a cock sock. I think he put a dumb actual sock on his dick Aww. to make Amelia Clark laugh, which I think is a funny story. <laughs> That's adorable. Another reason why Jason Momoa should and can plow me anytime he wants. Amen. <laughs> anyway... So, yes, you get sort of a a flash of bush and maybe dick. And then um, he takes her pretty roughly from behind. But it's Mm -hmm. all like really hot and aggressive and I'm into it. And this all happens to the song Haunted by Beyonce, which is a really good song. Yes. Oh, I didn't even mention the song that happens in mine. Uh, Oh, I've totally forgot. Um, During my scene, they're playing a, a Sia song named uh, Salted Wounds. Sounds so, painful. <laughs> right? Uh, and it's honestly, I think the mix is a little bit off because it's very loud uh, in comparison to the noises that they're making, but whatever. I mean, I mean, that's your call. You can do that mix if you want. Anyway, yeah, thank you for reminding me about the soundtrack. Because mm-hmm. we're not doing our, our usual stuff, so we have to remember what's important as we go. Yes, this is a very unstructured holiday episode in honor of mm-hmm. a movie where they're putting way too much structure into a sexual relationship. <laughs> but they're not <laughs> even going the adhering other to it. 
They're not even adhering to it. They're just talking about it. That said, the first time I saw this movie, speaking of the structure, the first Mm -hmm. time I saw this movie, my favorite part was by far after he gives her the contract to review when she demands a business meeting to discuss it. And she goes to his office and he he sets them up in a boardroom and she Mm -hmm. wears like a business formal dress and a trench coat and he wears a suit and they sit at opposite ends of a conference table to -hmm. talk about it and she goes through this contract kind of point by point like it's a business contract negotiation Mm -hmm. and my favorite part is she directs him to a certain page in line and she says uh this section here where it says anal fisting and he's like "Mm mm-hmm and she's like strike it out yeah Which is kind of another funny self-aware moment. Yeah, (laughs) that is fun. There there are touches of self-awareness through this movie that I feel like are probably Sam Taylor Johnson's influence coming through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely they're they're lampshaded. I think, yes, she's bringing attention to the self-awareness in a a way that it it wouldn't necessarily have to come through. Yeah, I agree with that. That is a great Mm -hmm. scene beautifully lit from behind with that red lighting. Um, Mm -hmm. And they are very much displayed as equals, which is kind of like, I mean, honestly, I think where this movie falls short, I kind of wish that it was leaning more into the fantasy of the power imbalance and that it could just stand alone as like a romance novel or a Gothic novel romance in the, in the classical sense Mm-hmm. But as a modern person, I appreciate the moments where they're depicted as equals or she's depicted as having some equal measure of power over him. I just don't think it's that sexy and it doesn't really uh, work for me. Yeah, no, it it doesn't all work. And there's too much of the <laughs> Fifty Shades of Fucked Upness, too much <laughs> possessiveness, too much manipulation. He sells her car without asking her because he's gifting her a newer fancier one that's abusive and manipulative even though it's sort of a nice gesture it's not okay and so you get a lot of those things that the whole way through make the ending of the movie the only possible Mm -hmm. ending that you can stomach for the movie yes I, I, I have so much I want to talk about the ending but I do want to talk about just the immediate scene after he sells her car where he gives her three spanks and says, welcome to my world. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Three little spanks on her ass. Says, welcome to my world. And then he's like, oh, I got a business meeting. Bye. And he leaves. <laughs> and that to me is one of the most profound misrepresentations. Uh, that's to me the, the moment where it's so clear that he has no understanding of BDSM. Mm-hmm. because anyone who has any passing familiarity with kink in real life would know that you don't bring someone into a space where they're being submissive or, or, or even you wouldn't bring someone into a space where they have to be dominant. You wouldn't bring someone into that space where they have to play a role and then just be like, oh, sorry, I got to go by. That's so not cool. That's such bad BDSM etiquette. There but is a yes. Okay. As you stated, what they do in that moment isn't a scene. <laughs> he throws her over his lap and smacks her ass three times, right? So there's no like 
there is no like losing your head to the situation and there's no real scening and there's no intensity about it. It's playful. Um, and that makes it even funnier that he's like, welcome to my world. And I'm like, yeah, okay. My mom has spanked me more than that. You know, (laughs) 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 you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's, it's hard to be criticizing it both for the kind of weird, mild brevity of it, but also be like, how dare he leave her after he's entered her into this situation? So I, I am kind of having my cake and eating it too by taking both criticisms. I I guess I, for me, it doesn't necessarily read that what's going through her mind is supposed to be like this vulnerability because of that moment, but rather because it's more of the hot and cold stuff. He went cold on her again. He went real hot and then real cold again. Mm-hmm. And she, I feel like was reacting to that rather than some sort of vulnerability brought out specifically by the introduction of <laughs> the ass smacking. <laughs> I I think that's a fair read. I think my take is that sort of no no self-respecting dom would ever act like that. I I'll just say what I would hope for is, you know, he'd spank her a little bit. He'd be like, "All right, I'm going to uh get you some lotion." I'm going to get you a warm washcloth and I'm going to get you, um, would you like tea or would you like, uh, just water, you know, something like that. Like, that's how you kind of like take care of a person after a scene. You just, you just be extra nice to them. That is also deeply unsexy and not part of the fantasy of the movie. (laughs) Also true. Also true. Would Um, I personally be okay with rubbing aloe on Jamie Dornan's ass cheeks? Sure. Mm, Do I want to mm-hmm. watch Jamie Dornan rub aloe on someone else's ass cheeks in a movie? Probably not. <laughs> Interesting. To me, the fantasy goes all the way to like the chat, the pillow talk afterwards. That's mm. interesting. For I mean, pillow talk afterwards is absolutely part of the romantic fantasy for me. This is a movie for horny people who want who want to watch a slutty movie and don't want to think about it too much. That's what it is. But they don't even want they don't even want they like want like you said JV kink. They want the like ooh, he spanked her. They don't want the like dealing with reality. Right. No, they don't want the cup of tea and the aloe on the ass cheeks. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess that's where I differ from mainstream America. <laughs> they just want they want the taboo of being of like watching this mainstream movie about something that's not very mainstream but is very titillating mm-hmm. is what they're after and I don't think they want to follow the intellectual trails of it back to like (laughs) (laughs) whether or not it all makes sense and whether or not Uh he's living this lifestyle correctly which based Mm -hmm. on what i know he absolutely is not what he's doing is unsafe and unhealthy and in many ways unconsensual unconsensual yeah just bad in all kinds of ways um but that's not what it's about right these mm. these books and movies are basically just a titillating thing to <laughs> to jack off to you know what i yeah. mean i don't think yeah. 
I was just, it's just like, it's like overthinking porn. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it opens itself up to that by having him purport to be an expert in this lifestyle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's why I sort of wish that it was more like, oh, my boss is asking me to stay late. And oh, I don't really know if I feel comfortable. You know, like that sort of thing where it's like, just be a taboo fantasy. Don't mm -hmm. couch it in this idea of this is a thing that people do. And it's a normal thing to have a contract like this and to have, you know, 20 flogs. It, it, like that's, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it opened itself in that way to huge amounts of criticism and huge amounts of criticism is exactly what it got. <laughs> yeah. And it deserves it, frankly. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think this is a good way to segue to uh, the moment where she does kind of acquiesce to his request. Uh, and they have... <laughs> Kinky sex for the first time in the red room, which is so tacky. I hate the red room. It's tacky <laughs> as hell. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get we get our first kind of real bondage uh, where he's like he's restraining her to um, what was that thing? The, like the hexagonal structure in that room. I don't know what that was. I, yeah, I don't know. But he's like, yeah, he's tying her up. Uh, he's finally using the crop. We've got some some like red rope binding her in different positions. And it's like, oh, OK, OK. We got the tiniest flash of cock. Just a little hint. She didn't, though. She's blindfolded. <laughs> She's blindfolded. <laughs> but we know. We know. Um, yeah, so there's like some, finally there's like some, okay, okay, things are happening. It's still, in my opinion, very tame. Cause it's just kind of, he, he likes to like tickle her with the flog. I noticed <laughs> he likes to like, just kind of brush her with it. I'm like, that's not, that's not what that's for. <laughs> but yeah. And then at one point, I don't really recall how they got to Georgia, but she goes to Georgia with her family and he shows up there for some reason. And it's another moment where she should have called the cops. Yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. She goes to Georgia to visit her mother and to get some space from him. And he just shows up again like a stalker and doesn't just show up, <sighs> but sends her a text that says you're having another Cosmo and then walks up on her in a restaurant having another oh, Cosmo. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't even remember that text. Yeah. Uh, Christian Grey Controlling, stalking So there's like a scene They're in a plane I don't know I was, I was drunk by this point um, <laughs> I've been I've been fully day drinking Bellinis in my room uh, Watching this So you know they're, uh, Somehow they got in a plane And everything's forgiven Even though he's a crazy stalker He has to leave Georgia suddenly Because he gets called off away on a business emergency oh, And so yeah. when she So when she gets back to his place After she comes back She finds him like yelling at somebody on the phone Trying to <laughs> solve this business problem <sighs> Somebody be like get back, get back to me ASAP And then like hangs up the phone You know it's that kind of like shorthand For he's solving big important businessman problems but he's yeah. clearly worked up and he's angry mm -hmm. about whatever's happening at work 
and he kisses her hello and says, meet me in the playroom in 15 minutes, which is yeah. not okay. Not right? okay. He's not having you this, enter a scene. He's having this external stress from work. He's mad at somebody and now he's going to go take it out on her. And this is yeah. not yet where things go wrong, but it's a huge red flag that they're about to go wrong because he he doesn't separate those two things in the way that he needs to in a healthy relationship. He's yeah. punishing her physically for an external stressor in his life, which is not how this works. Yeah. Do you know, this is an aside. I watched, I was a big fan of um, Secret Diary of a Call Girl. Because you fancy Billy Piper, sir. Exactly. Um, and <laughs> so there's an episode where uh, she kind of, flirts with being a dominatrix and she like gets all dressed up in like a latex bodysuit. She has a guy come over. She kind of, at one point it's quite funny. She runs out of things for him to do. And so she's like, I guess just clean my apartment. And he's like, yes, mistress. Yes, mistress. And she's like, okay, cool. Um, but then she takes a phone call and there's some like relationship drama happening. And then she comes back and she like starts spanking him and she fully is losing her temper and he's safe words and she doesn't notice. Ooh. And uh, finally she kind of like realizes, oh God, what am I doing? And they have to separate. And it's a huge moment played very well in the show. It's kind of hard to watch, but it's played very well in the show because they realize like, this is why she isn't cut out for this job. Because mm. she's not trained in the way where she can separate her emotions from the service that she's trying to provide. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's a good comparison mm -hmm. where you see something that's unhealthy and not right being discussed and sort of addressed why it's unhealthy and not right rather than kind of... Fifty Shades doesn't like not address the things that are okay but they put it on Anastasia to address it directly they yeah. don't sort of they don't address it with the viewers they let Anastasia say hey I'm done with your bullshit right now and it's only sort of like in isolated situations where she rolls her eyes at him and she makes jokes about him to his face or whatever mm. but there's there's never any like it doesn't feel like threaded through is this criticism of his behavior as part of the mm -hmm. narrative it feels like you're supposed to be into it as much as anastasia is and criticizing it only as much as anastasia is yeah i agree with that and they they make this weird juxtaposition uh where they're kind of renegotiating the contract and he he sort of makes this comment about normal people mm -hmm. about you do you have this written down as well? Of like, there's a weird juxtaposition where he's like, oh, "You want us to like date like normal people," and I'm that's so fucked up. Yeah, he he kind of repeatedly plays this victim card of like, "I told you I wasn't normal, and now you're gonna use that against me, you Ugh. bitch." I yeah. was vulnerable with you and told you I'm not normal, and now you want me to be normal. You want me to change for you. Meanwhile, she's like, I was a virgin and you have a yeah. sex dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish for a better, I wish for a better movie. That's not what we watched. No, 
But like I said, she does dump him at the end. Yes. Let's talk about the ending. Yeah. Okay. So she, uh, he, he's talking about how he's 50 shades of fucked up. Uh, and she asks him basically to go as hard as he can so that she understands his dark perversions, which is so weird. Like she's, she's saying cross my boundaries and then is like surprised afterwards, I guess. Um, well, she's like, she's like, they start arguing and she's like, do you want to punish me right now? And he's like, yes, I want to punish you right now. And so she gets to this point where she's like, well, let's do it then. I, I got to see it eventually punish me because I want to see how bad it's going to get. What am I in for? So mm. that I get. And it doesn't read to me like cross my boundaries. It reads to me like show me exactly what you want to be doing right now so that mm. I know what's floating around in that Fifty Shades of Fucked Up brain so that I know it's getting spanked six times too hard and not like oh, and not getting times. and not like getting choked out and hung upside down from the ceiling or something, you know? Right? <laughs> six six lashes across the ass with a belt. That's as fucking dark as it gets baby <laughs> and then afterwards i mean this is a weird thing where i realized like i'm mean, kind of on christian gray's side even though he's a very bad dom but she kind of like has him do this and then like kink shames him where <laughs> she's like you know sobbing in, in pain and she's like is this what you like and it's like <laughs> yeah he's 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 into bdsm yeah he he's yeah like clearly i mean the point is that you like it too but that's clearly not happening right now well i don't think again i don't think that's what she means i don't think she means like oh you like to spank people because she knows that (laughs) i think she's like i think what she means is oh you like hurting people and making them upset because she's hurt and she's upset Mm. And I think that's what she's getting at is, oh, you want to make people feel this way, which he doesn't, but yeah. he also doesn't have enough brain cells to rub together to say, I shouldn't be doing this right now <laughs> while she's really upset and it will hurt her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of like the kind of beauty of sadomasochism is that for everyone that likes to inflict a little pain. There's someone who likes to get a little pain Mm -hmm. and hopefully the two can find each other. Like that's what kind of set up the ending for me is like, oh, she's clearly not enjoying this. So obviously she has to leave. You know, she packs up and she leaves and they give her this kind of empowering moment. She gets in his elevator to leave and he's chasing after her and she says no. And he keeps coming anyway. And she says, stop. And he Mm -hmm. finally stops and they stare at each other. And then they mirror that moment just after their first meeting where the elevator doors close and they say each other's names. Yeah. It closes exactly the way they meant. Like fucking hammer us, hammer it home, hammer it home. Like hit us (laughs) with a fucking mallet over the head with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm kind of baffled that for a big Valentine's Day release, they have this couple, if God, that can be called that, um, <laughs> breaking up at the end. Uh, that feels like very like, oh, OK, OK, that's interesting. That's an interesting choice. I think we get about 
90 seconds of screen time where they're not together at the beginning of the second movie. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> good, good, great, great. Fucking fantastic. <laughs> they get back together very quickly. How? I don't even remember. It's very much like, mm, do you forgive me? And she's like, mm, I guess I forgive you. <laughs> like, it's like That's... nothing. She just, he just gets back on his bullshit immediately. And she's like, okay, I kind of like his bullshit. Even though I was sobbing and getting spanked in his red room of pain. It's like within the first 10 minutes, I think. It's like really quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think this movie's... I don't know. I don't even want to give it the compliment of saying it's interesting. I think... It, it's certainly compelling in a way. It's not like <laughs> taking you on an intellectual journey for sure. <laughs> What's frustrating to me is that I can picture a good version of this film... I can hold that in my mind. It's one where it's much more gothic, much more classically romantic. Uh, they in, they increase the parallels to works such as Tess of the Ubervilles and uh, Alice in Wonderland by making it sort of uh, his world is so ridiculously, absurdly foreign to her. Um, you know how modern art or I should say contemporary art, you know how contemporary expensive art is like alien looking? Like the most (laughs) expensive shit is like, what is that? Like if his, if his like penthouse apartment, whatever situation had been like so wealthy, so opulent to be unintelligible to the, the layman's eye. Uh, and have Anastasia come into this situation, not just naive, but like kind of powerless and drifting and feeling as if, you know, these, these, all these things were kind of happening without her control. I think that would have been a much more compelling narrative and a much better fantasy. I would hate Uh, that. (laughs) Really? I would hate that and I would not watch that. The idea of this is that everybody who watches this is Anastasia. (laughs) And Christian is is a billionaire, but you recognize everything in his life. So that means you too could meet a billionaire who wants to fuck the shit out of you and buy you a car. That's the whole point of it. It's self-insert porn. <laughs> I hate that. That it's has not no classic artistic literature. merit. No, it doesn't. It's Twilight fan fiction, Lauren. It's not classic <sighs> literature. It's self-insert porn. <laughs> <sighs> That's why Anastasia, just like Bella Swan, is written to be the most boring, plain, brown-haired, mousy, clumsy, (laughs) shy (laughs) person. All those things that are, like, not good, but also not terrible that we see in ourselves. (laughs) I'm a little awkward. I'm a little clumsy. I don't dress as good as everybody else. I'm not as confident as my roommate. I'm not as... You know, my car is older than whatever, you know, it's all those things that we're like, that we see in ourselves. And this fantasy says a really gorgeous 27 year old billionaire is going to fall head over heels in love with you. (laughs) 
you're correct and I hate it. I know. I did see one piece of criticism that I think probably got taken a little bit too far, but somebody right off the bat after this movie came out said, if Christian Grey lived in a trailer instead of a penthouse, this would be a horror movie, which yeah. is accurate. Right? Yeah. It, none of it is okay, but the fantasy is, I mean, it's, it's a fantasy for women, right? That's why I called it yeah. mom porn. It's not really, yeah. it's not, it's not really a fantasy for men in any way, as far as I can tell, except for the nudity. Um, mm. But it's about projecting yourself onto this really, really undefined, <laughs> like uninteresting yeah. person. <laughs> You're so correct. Man, why am I looking for artistic direction from E.L. James? I clearly, clearly I'm in the wrong. No, you don't turn to Twilight fan fiction for that. You turn to supernatural fan fiction for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're correct. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's we that's a, a nice a nice note to end on. Uh I think we should we should wrap it up. Yeah, so even though this is a bonus episode, you should still feel free to uh Follow us on social media. Why don't should I feel free? Do it. That's an order, and you uh, can call yeah. me, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Follow us on social media. <laughs> there it we is. Are at let's get it on film. That's the top energy you claim to have. <laughs> I have none of it. Um, uh, our website is let's get it on film uh, dot, com. dot com. That's important. <laughs> That's important. Um, and. You can write to us. Uh, we love getting any feedback that you can give us at uh, info at let's get it on film.com. Listen to us where you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. Tell us what you're watching, what you think we should be watching. If you have a suggestion for us, mm-hmm. check out the Let's Get It On Film Fuck Jams playlist on Spotify, which has some really great additions this week. Yes, it must have uh, the Sia song. It must have the, the Beyonce song because we mentioned those. Um, mm-hmm. So keep it pervy. Yeah, keep it pervy, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. Eat some chocolate. Aww. From the society he is bent upon destroying. Look at his face. It is the face of a...